as those guys head out um, and head down for, for Junior Church, I just figured I'd remind you of a, a few things. First of all, this week we had a great time on 4th of July for those that were able to make it up at Sebago Lake State Park. Thank you to especially Don and Sarah for pulling all of that together. It was a great day. Uh, people had a lot of fun together. And if we didn't get a chance to have that time with you, we just look forward to some other time uh, together in the future. also had a chance to be at a block party last night over uh, for uh, Tyler and Nancy Dunphy and their community, the neighborhood that they live in. And uh, again, what a great picture of the way that we really see the gospel spreading throughout this region. Um, it certainly didn't feel like a church service and it wouldn't be a typical church service, but it was an incredible opportunity to connect with those that were there, to, to bring friends together, uh, especially from this neighborhood. So I'm excited about what God's doing. You know, Josh was talking about our quarterly prayer times and um, we, we organize something like a quarterly prayer time the same way that we think about 4th of July. And, and here's just to kind of surface what we're doing. We find that so much is going on here that is kind of below uh, the radar. There's so much prayer that goes on as, as men meet together to connect. But that doesn't go in the bulletin. There's so much prayer that goes on in our missional communities that meet throughout this region. But that doesn't go in the bulletin. There's, there's so many husbands that are praying with their wives. There's parents that are praying with their kids. There are, there's, there's groups that are meeting, and some of those are in the bulletin. But this is happening in, in so many levels, in so many places. It's really um, encouraging and exciting. But I can't stand up and tell you those details, because then I'd be a blabbermouth, and it's, it's not really my job to do that. In, in the same way, mission is going on in so many different layers and so many different levels. And, and, you know, there's things that, you know, I can pick on Ann. So many things that Ann's getting to talk about at work with people and uh, getting to do such great ministry through. But we can't share those every Sunday. So part of our thinking is let's come together once a quarter and have everybody come together and we'll pray. And that will just remind us that, you know what, this prayer is happening all over the place. But once in a while, because I'm human, I need to see. I need to be reminded. Fourth of July gave us one of those other great times to get together because as we get together, we get to share about the opportunities, the things that God's doing. We, we get to talk about our neighbors that we love and really want to see come to know Jesus. We, we get to share those things with each other. So that's why we create some of these really large events. They're also great places for people to come in. You know, they're, they're doors where people say, I don't know who else is praying here. I want to meet some people. Or I don't know a lot of people here. I want to come meet some people. So they give us doors. They act as an entryway into our community. But they also give us a chance to share about the incredible things that God's doing, as well as to share some of the painful things that we're walking through. Those connect us on the big level. And that's why we also have our missional communities. And that's why we also meet in these smaller groups uh, together so that we can, so we can connect. So I just want to kind of just pull the curtain back for a second. Remind us why a quarterly prayer time really matters. Why something like Fourth uh, of July getting together really matters. Uh, because there's so many things that you guys are doing that are so exciting. I mean, you think about it. In the last week, we had, what, Beth go to Kenya. Um, we were in Haiti. 
uh, just there, there's so many different things that people may not even know about. It doesn't even get big press anymore when people go to Haiti, right? It, it's no longer even this huge thing. Now it's just kind of, oh, yeah, we're going to Haiti next week. And we love that. Uh, that's why sometimes we say we're not a program-driven church. Um, in, instead, it's a ministry done by everyone. And uh, there's just so many things going on that we can't highlight all of those. So it's just good to get to share a little bit about those, remind ourselves why we do things the way that we do. Well, again, my name is Mark. I have the privilege of being one of the elders here, uh, primary role is to communicate God's word um, throughout the week and and uh, so I'm, I'm grateful for that privilege I'm grateful that you give me the time and the energy to, you know the opportunity to get to do that we've been walking through a series now for eight weeks just reminding us about three of the elemental um, the, the, the foundational elements of authentic Christianity when it comes to who we are and what we do. And we've been calling those Jesus, community, and mission. Jesus, community, and mission. And I, I didn't have a PowerPoint for this, Steve, in case you're looking for it. I just figured we, we had a, a network failure um, Friday. So that's why we have no bulletins. Thankfully, we still have Wi-Fi. Otherwise, we'd be in trouble, right? So, but... Um, We've just kind of stripped it down a little bit this week, just make things easier. But as we, as we talk about this, Wi-Fi does not come first. The networks don't come first. Jesus comes first, right? Jesus is what matters around here, and Jesus is our hope. You and I can have a personal walk with Jesus, no matter, no matter who you are, no matter where we've been. What we've been talking about through these last number of weeks is that we can have free acceptance with Jesus through His cross. Okay? And, and we, we understand that Jesus never stops pouring out that acceptance on His people. Now, is that for everyone? Let me say it this way. For us as a church, we look at this and we say, you know what? It's for people who are willing and able to admit really their shame and their weakness. Jesus meets us when we are able and willing to admit where we are broken and where we are needy. But I have to admit, Jesus really comes into conflict with those who have to try and protect themselves, protect their dignity, protect that view of themselves to say, I don't really need a Savior, I just need a helper. That, that, if I have to cover my sin, if I have to hide that, if I have to protect that, if I have to sit there and say, you know, I, I can't let you know who I am, that's where we can't help. But Jesus comes to us and says, if you're able to just admit this is where I have a need, then Jesus comes into that and he meets that and he brings acceptance and hope. So, so we, we've said it this way. Jesus or the gospel is not really for good people and it gets resisted by bad people. Instead, the gospel is actually for bad people and isn't it kind of funny, it gets resisted by who? Really good people. Jesus is our key focus. And I've got to say this, here at Wyndham Baptist, we're here to help you. We really are. We're here 
to help you. And, and I'm not saying me. I'm not saying Josh. I'm not just saying the elders. We, we are here to help you. To walk with you. To be together if we're willing to be honest about who we are. So, so that's where Jesus comes in. This week we're looking at community. Okay, the second element. And what we've done is we've gone Jesus community mission, Jesus community mission, Jesus, today we're in community, okay? You can guess where we're going next week. We're going into mission. Mission is the idea that we love to be able to tell other people about this acceptance. We need to. It's God's heart. It's God's passion to draw people to himself. And we love that. But what about community? We're looking at community. And one of the things I just remind us of is this. At Wyndham, we're not just holding weekly worship gatherings, important as those are. And they are very important for us. But we are, we're actually building a new community. I'm not saying we're the only ones in this area that are building a new community. But what Jesus is doing here at Wyndham Baptist is he's building a new community. He's calling us to live out a different kind of relational priority. One where people really matter to us. We don't use people to get what we want done. Instead, it's a place where we say, hey, you matter. You matter. Doesn't, it, it doesn't matter what we get from you. What matters is this opportunity to serve and to help each other. Now, I'll also say it this way. It's a place where people matter to us, and, and not only the people that swim in our end of the gene pool. There's, a, there's a, a tendency up here where we sit there and go, yeah, you're my family. You know? Our, our dads share a line somewhere, so now we're connected. So you matter to me. But these other people... We just kind of go to church together. That's not what we're talking about. Instead, we're going to look at it today and we're going to find out, you know what? Jesus has called every single one of us. Whether you have a big, sprawling family, this network, you know, you all live on the same 40 acres and when somebody else grows up and gets old enough, they get a plot of land and then you build another house over there. Or whether you're up here going, I don't have that kind of family. I never have. My family could fit inside of my Toyota. I, I don't care which area you're at. There's a reality about you. And I want to show us that. I want to remind us that today. Because not all of us really necessarily believe that. Not all of us really necessarily are, are getting that kind of message, right? Sometimes we get the sense like, hey, I matter or I don't matter. I feel left out. I feel disconnected. So, so those, that's what we're looking at today. We're talking about relationships. We're talking about community. We're talking about the idea that Jesus didn't only call us to become saved, to be rescued from our sins, to become holy, to be transformed. Jesus also called us with the same authority, with the same calling, to be part of His family, to be connected to live in community with other people. Amen? Now, community is awesome. Right? Being connected, 
being related to people. That is amazing. It sounds great, doesn't it? All right, awesome, Chad. Thank you. You, you speak for everybody, buddy, because I need, I need you here. People look a little tired this morning. Who wants to be alone? No one, really. I am. I'm asking, Chad. You're, this is, you're allowed to answer here, okay? That's, that's the way this goes here. If I throw a question out, I honestly, it's not just rhetorical. We actually are allowed to answer. But I remember my, my first experience up here in Wyndham was when I was in high school and I came up, my aunt owned a cabin over there on uh, Brandy Pond. And when I came up here, I was a senior in high school and my brother got in touch with me and said, well, if you go up there, make sure you go to Wyndham Baptist Church. Now, I knew no one up here. Literally no one. And I'm a senior in high school. And again, this is back just... You know, for, for some of you younger guys, this was before cell phones, okay? And the world did exist back then. This actually was before, like, at least I had any kind of a debit card or an ATM card or that you could find an ATM anywhere, okay? I came up here by myself. This was back in the days where to make a phone call, you had to make it on Sunday afternoon because that was the only time anyone could afford to make a phone call. Do you remember those days? On the landline with the rotary dial thing? Okay, I am old enough for that. It happened. I promise you. And I can remember being up here, right? And being by myself. And I remember, you know, one or two key things. One, I ran out of money. I remember being completely out of money. And we're not talking like, oh, I have $100 in the bank type of money. We're talking about I was down to $5. No, two. it was $2. I had $2 left. My family was all down where they lived at that point in Virginia. And you start to go, huh, I never thought about this. What do I do now? The other thing I remember when I was up here was a different time. I was up here and my transmission on my car went. I, I could go forward, but I couldn't go backward, which is a little inconvenient until you figure the whole thing out. Okay, but I had to take the car and literally it was in my driveway over there by myself. And it was a big old Pontiac. And we're not talking like a, a medium kind of Pontiac or a Pontiac like today Pontiac kind of Pontiac. This was a big old Pontiac. Diesel. <laughs> and I had to turn that thing around in my driveway. I got a block and tackle out. If you know what that is. By myself, I would pull on it and it was a two-door too it was a big old Pontiac it was only two doors I don't know what anybody was thinking about this thing but it had run over around the door and then jump in and hit the parking brake yeah I moved it a foot then did that again and did that again I was up here alone but I gotta tell you one of the unique things as I walked through those doors back there and when I came in People treated me like family. I had no family here. Now that was 25 years ago. But I was treated like family here. Guy and Ruth Spaulding, and I know some of you guys know them. Guy and Ruth adopted me. I think it was pity. And rightfully so, but still. Man, community is amazing, isn't it? Have you experienced community like that? 
at one level, we really want, how many people want friendships? But let me ask you this. Isn't it true that at another level, we just don't want them? How many of you had to think when I asked how many of you want friendships? I'm not sure. Let me think about that. Why? Friendships are costly, right? How, how, how do our friendships cost us? Time. What's that? Heartbreak. <laughs> She's not pointing to the person right in front of her. No. Time. What, what other ways? What are some other ways that, that okay, emotionally? And, and not even just the heartbreak side, right? But when we're, when we're thinking about someone, it, it, it takes up our, our emotions, time. You guys can answer more than one word if you want. I, <laughs> you've got to give up a lot of what you want for yourself to be in a real friendship. Yeah, what do you mean? What do you mean, Vic? But it can. People can kind of look and say, what were you doing? Or where were you? Okay, so it can, it can cost that way. Any others? Okay, financial. We've got to throw that in there, don't we? It can be costly to have friends. Because friends aren't cheap. Mom won't pay for them all your life. And but it costs us even financially to, to, to do that. And let's be honest, one of the things that we do is we pursue friendships but when we really dig down into it if we're if we're able to be this transparent with ourselves one of the things that we find is that we often pursue friendships as long as they satisfy our desires as long as they 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 take care of our needs so you can kind of say it this way we've got kind of a love-hate relationship with relationships right And yet Scripture calls us to be intimately connected to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Scripture calls us to move towards each other. Our fellowship is an essential ingredient for lasting change. Do you believe that? I mean, look at the people around you for a second. And I know some of you are visiting, but just kind of look around the room. One of the things that God is saying is, no matter how deeply connected you are at this point to these people, you need them. And they need you. Notice again, I'm not saying you need me. I'm saying that we need each other. I need you to help me grow. There's this important connection relationship. Now let's just point this out. One of my questions as we go through this is, will we be biblically convinced of this? Or... Will you sit there and go, no, that's a program. Mark and Josh and the elders, they're throwing out a program. Because a program I can choose whether or not I want to be a part of. Or will I take this biblically and say, wait a minute, Jesus is calling me to this. Do you understand the difference? For some of us, we're going to sit there and go, I wish I had friendships like that. And that will be the sum 
You'll walk away and go, that would be nice. That would be great. If people would only pursue me, if people would only work at this. Remember I've told the story before about the, the girl who was in our youth ministry? And it was late one Wednesday night because everything always happened really late around here on Wednesday nights after youth group. But, but she kind of came in and plopped down in a chair in my office, you know, and still all these people around the building, but she came and plopped down and said, what's up, Sam? She's like, oh. And I said, where have you been? I was out on the hill. And she was sitting on that mound of dirt over there. And I said, why? Because I'm having a bad day. Why were you sitting out there? There's people here. I was waiting for someone to come find me. How'd that work for you? Not so good. Why? I'm cold and no one found me. Did you know I was in my office? Yeah. That's why I came here. Good. There's a sense to which some of us will be biblically convinced that everybody else should pursue this towards us and we're going to discount ourselves from this we're going to say everyone should come to seek me and and yes they should but we're going to leave ourselves out of this mix so what i'm challenging us to really do is just to 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 look at this so let's take a look at this i want to i want to give us an illustration um uh a book that tim lane and um paul tripp wrote called helping others change they use this illustration i just thought it would be Maybe a draw a picture for us. So, um, also, this is clearly not about anybody here. So, uh, but but Joe, Joe is single. He's lonely and he's very angry with the people who've been part of his life, who he's felt used by others. He's become very cynical about the possibility of meaningful relationships. He felt especially betrayed by Christians who shunned him because of several really socially unacceptable habits. Joe was not doing well spiritually. He had cut himself off from other people, and yet he had a deep desire for someone to understand him. Whenever he sought help with his problems, he was given sound biblical counsel about how he needed to think, what he needed to believe, and how he needed to respond to his problems, how he needed to change as an individual. But Joe lived with this profound tension. He did not like other people, but he had made human companionship actually his primary object of worship. Think about that. He would avoid others, and yet he would complain that others didn't care for him. Well-intentioned helpers saw his relationship idolatry, and they mistakenly avoided calling him into a community of friends who could help him grow. It's kind of like, you know, saying, because you've made an idol of food, don't eat. Joe was understandably confused and bitter. He really needed help. He needed to change. He needed to take responsibility for his responses to life's problems but he he also needed a community of friends where he could find hope and encouragement along with challenging honest and loving accountability sadly he was not being encouraged to pursue such redemptive friendships change some of the details saying change some of the names you might find yourself 
somewhere close to that. What does Joe need? Let me answer that question. The first thing Joe needs to know is something that we see in the text here. So if you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Josh just read this to us, so I'm not going to reread it right now, but let me summarize this. What Joe needs to know is that when Jesus brings us into the family of God, listen to me, when Jesus brings us into the family of God, we are never alone again. We are never alone again, no matter how much of a mess we've made of our lives. When Jesus brings us into this family, we are never alone again, no matter how much of a mess we've made of our lives. And yet, as American Christianity, we tend to really latch on to the hope of personal change in this really individualistic kind of way. It's me and Jesus. The second reality is that very few people, when they're helping us, point us towards God's gift of community. These, these rich, redemptive relationships. Instead, they, they tell us what you need to do is just go get alone with Jesus. You, you just need time to pray. You need time to fight sin. You need to step out. The most common thing, what do I need to do? Boy, if I'm, if I'm struggling somewhere, I need to step out of the places where I find community so I can go get things right with Jesus. That's not what Jesus says. Yet it is the first tendency for our culture. And at first we kind of think, why not? It's easier to get out of this. Being involved with people is complicated. Being with involved with people is, is, is costly. I've got to put up with your junk. I, I might come to you with something very heavy on my heart and I want to share it with you and you might not even listen to me. Ever been there? Have you been let down by people? It's funny how we ask that question, but we rarely ask, have I ever let other people down? But what we think is, I could just be reading my Bible and praying, which in a sense is true. It's an efficiency problem. Working with people is not efficient. Is it? But you know what? One of the things that Joe needs to understand here is that God has this bigger, but also quite frankly, messier and less efficient plan. This is how God designed us. God's not captivated with efficiency. So let's, let's just take a look at this. Let me ask three, three key questions. The first of those today is just going to be this. Why should I move towards others? When we talk about community, we are talking about the reality that you and I are called to move towards others. Not, not just accept others when they come to us, but we're actually called to move. Now, I'm not saying, please don't hear me sit there and say what we're expecting you to do is to all walk together uh, after the service today. 
and hug and cry and share your deepest personal secrets. Tell people how you were disappointed by your mom when you were in kindergarten because she didn't really love your drawing. That, that's not what I'm talking about. Okay? But are, are you, are, yeah, Brent cried, right? <laughs> but but are, you, are you making steps? What, what step is it is going to be one of the questions. What step do you need to make to move towards people? I'm not asking you to run a marathon. I'm asking you, what step do you need to take? Maybe, maybe you are up on the hill. Maybe you need to get off there. Just come in the building somewhere, okay? Maybe you need to stay around when there's coffee downstairs and just risk talking to somebody. There, there's going to be different applications, different levels on this. But the question is, are we, are we moving? And, and so l- let's ask this. Why? So, so like we said, Josh just read this, but I want to just reread this part of it. Paul has spent the first three chapters of this letter essentially focusing on this great salvation that we have. So chapters 1 through 3, we come into 4. He's now going to challenge them. He sits there and he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, literally because he's in prison, he says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And now we kind of, you know, you kind of, you get ready for battle. You get ready for action, right? Because you sit there, those sound like motivating kind of words. We're like, yes, all right. He wants me to step up. Paul's calling me to step up right now. Yes, what does step up look like? And we think, okay, I'm going to sell everything I have and move to Africa. Maybe God's going there, but that doesn't really seem like the application right here. Maybe it's that maybe I should become a professional blogger and I'll just kind of float my ideas out there for the world and transform things. Doesn't seem like that's the application here, is it? Some of us are going to get totally blown off because we look at this first part and go, "Oh, Jesus just wants stuff I can't, have, I can't do." Well, let's look at what he applies, is how he applies this, because I think it's kind of interesting for us. All right, so let's take a stand. Let's live lives worthy of the calling that we receive. What is that? Verse two, with humility, all humility, with gentleness, with patience. Bear with one another in love. No, wait, wait, wait. I thought we were moving to Africa. I thought I was selling everything I had. I thought I was supposed to adopt 16 more kids. I thought I, thought I was supposed to give away all my money and let my body be burned, you know? I, I thought that's what you were going to call me to. And Paul says, no, actually I want to give you something that, that is equally challenging. I'm going to call you guys to pursue peace and unity by being humble and gentle and patient with each other. can sound a little you know, anticlimactic. But Paul is saying this is what it's going to look like to live a life worthy of the calling that you've been called to. That means husbands, what are we called to? Gentleness. Patience. We're called, right, to maintaining unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. As, as moms, as dads, with your, with your brothers, with your sisters, with your parents. Now, everything I just mentioned is, is our end of the gene pool, right? Is that as far as this goes? 
Absolutely not. This is a call to do this with the people that are in the same row as you are, whether you know them or not. To pursue this, to pursue this. That's, that's the calling, right? With all humility, humility and gentleness, with patience, bear with one another in love. eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Notice this, because we're asking this question, why should I move towards others? Why? Why should I live in community? The interesting answer is right in here. Look at verse 4. There's one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, verse 5, one What? Lord. So there's one Spirit, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Verse 6, one God, the Father. Huh, who did we just mention? The Trinity. Why are we called to live in community? Because God has never lived without it. Do you realize the significance of this? Paul is saying the reason that I'm calling you to live in community is because it, 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 it glorifies God. It shows who God is. It sits there and says, man, God knows how the world was made to be. And you and I are made to live like Him. God has never been alone. God has never gone off. He's never been apart. God has been connected, except we'll come to one time, because my son pointed that out to me, and that's so important to all of this. But God lives in community. It's so different than Islam, right? God is not alone, separate, holy, distinct, and unaffected. Instead, God has always lived, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, loving each other, caring for each other, serving each other, connected with each other, never alone, instead rejoicing in community. Rejoicing in the life that they get to live together. That's who God is. How do we live in community? It's the overflow, the love of God that sits there and says, man, I want to to invite you. Did you notice that in verse um, uh, 3? In all humility, all gentleness, with one, bearing with one another in love. Verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Eager to create unity in the Spirit. Who created the, the unity? The Holy Spirit did. Our unity flows out of the unity of God. It's the overflow of God that comes into, into my life. When you trust in Christ, when you come to Jesus as your rescuer, you are immediately welcomed into fellowship with the very source of love, the triune God. And you're brought into His family, the church. What's the word that stands out in verses 4 through 6? One. 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 There's this call, this ring. 
And every one of those times one is attached to one of the members of the Trinity. There's one Spirit at work in the body. There's one Lord through whom we have one hope, one faith, one baptism. There's one Father who is over one family, the church. All of our blessings are ours because of what the Trinity has done in creation and redemption. And if you're not sure about that, go back to Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3 and see how God talks about this. He always says, hey, let us do this. Let us. Together. So let me just ask this question. What length then did the Trinity go to to make us one body? United to one Father, one Son, and one Holy Spirit. What length did they go to? Well, isn't that the one time that the Trinity in their community was broken? At the cross, right? That time where Jesus cried out, My my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The one time the Father turned His back and broke community was with the Son was at the cross. And why did He do it? Why did He do it? Yeah. So that we could be brought in. And that we would never have the Father turn His back on us. We talked about that acceptance, right? God will not turn His back on you because Jesus already took that. Jesus was the one who was torn asunder. He was the one who was destroyed. He was the one who faced the Father's wrath so that you and I would never taste that ourselves. You've never known acceptance the way that you do right now. Never. Doesn't always feel that way, does it? Because my human connectivity, because I'm human, because I'm frail, because I'm weak, what? I, I, I like to go by what I see. I like to go by what I feel. I like to go by what I experience. But what's our calling? It's to build our life on who Jesus is is and what He's done for us. That's why Jesus comes first. Do you realize, though, that when you sin or you are sinned against, we are to move towards that other Christian sibling in Christ, okay? But when we, do, when we don't do that, okay, we're essentially saying to that person, Jesus didn't die to fix this. On a positive side, let me say this. Jesus can fix any relationship here. Jesus can restore whatever's going on inside of your relationship, no matter what bitterness, whatever, because, hey, what's the reality? Jesus paid for it. Jesus was the one who was excluded. Jesus was the one who was destroyed. Jesus faced the punishment so I don't have to pay. I don't have to make you pay anymore. I don't have to make you pay. That is freeing when we struggle 
with the way people treat us. So why do we move towards community? I'll just say we move towards each other because of the Trinity. Because of the work of God. So let's ask this question though. Okay, well, how far? How far should I go to move towards others? What kind of work are we talking about here? Let's make clear it's as simple as just taking one step. But let's draw out the implications of that. Okay? Let's draw what the implications of that look like also from the book of Ephesians. So if you want to turn back a page to Ephesians chapter 2, let's just show this. How deep was the work that Jesus did in us? We've got to remember when Paul here was discipling new believers, he repeatedly reminded them that there was help in Christ and in Christ's people. There's two things there going on. Jesus helps us, but Jesus helps us through his people. So in Ephesians chapter 2, we've got an interesting thing going on here. Because in verse 14, he goes on, he says this. He says, for he himself, Jesus is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. He's going to use this, he's going to use an image of of the tabernacle. We won't unpack that too much. But let me draw the image out for you why he's talking about this. Inside this church, you've got people who are Jewish in background. And inside this church, you've got people who are Gentile in background. And there's this big division over whether or not these Gentiles can be considered to be the same level of people that these Jewish people are. And that's caused this massive division. If you want to flow at least an image of this, take the tension that was in our country, say, 60 years ago when it came to race. And multiply that. This was genetic. This was the way I was born. This had nothing to do with maybe my capabilities or other things like that. But I looked at you and I said, you are not worthy of what I'm worthy of. Because genetically, my, where, the pool I swim in is better than yours. Okay, That's the issue that's going on inside the church. And there's this massive division that's going on. And Paul is going to apply how far does God... Does Jesus want them to go because of what God has done for them? So he says, Jesus is our peace. And guess what? He's made us both one. Let's follow that out for a second just to read it. Verse 15, he abolished the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace. One new man. Verse 16, and he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace. Notice again, this is the God who comes to us, not the God who yells at us. This is the God who comes to be with us. He came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers or aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. No matter what that past hostility was, no matter what that tension was, 
What he's saying here is, guys, listen, understand that in Jesus, you have become members of one household. What's God seeking to produce in his people? He intends us to be people who are moving towards each other in community. He removed all the barriers so that we can people who hope, love, worship, and serve together. Unity, community is very important to God. Connectivity is very important to God. And our salvation connects us to God and to his people. It's not an either or. It's not that God either moves us close to him or he moves us towards others. Instead, this is a both end. God moves us towards himself and he moves us towards others. And in fact, um, you know, that's so important. There's something I noticed on Romans 12, 1 and 2. We won't, we won't go into it, but what I, if, you, if you know those verses, just remember he's, he says, hey, you know what? This idea of presenting your bodies, that's all of you. As an act of worship, this living sacrifice, that's one sacrifice. How are we going to do that? We're going to do that because we all sit there and go, you know what? It's all of us. Wyndham Baptist Church is called to present itself to God as an act of worship. So let's ask this question to apply it. How much does your life currently allow you to develop relationships that are deep enough to help you grow and change? What are some of the common obstacles that hinder redemptive relationships from developing in our lives? So here's a list of some questions. See if any of it applies to you. So what gets in the way? What gets in the way of those types of relationships? Well, is it the busyness of life that causes you to keep relationships distant and casual? I, sort of funny, those unsolicited comments you get during the week, right? Three times, older guys walked up to me and asked me this week, how I'm doing with my family. Not guys from here, guys at the gym. They're asking me if I'm spending enough time with my kids. They don't even know my kids. But what they're saying is, I wish I hadn't spent quite so much time working. I, I wish I wasn't so busy that I stayed distant and casual with my kids. How about this? Is this another option maybe for some of you? Are, are you are you in a total immersion in friendships that are just activity and happiness-based? We do this together, and as long as we have fun together, we'll keep doing this. This is like the high school relationship, right? Best friends ever! Until you realize that it's totally, totally you know, wrapped around what you're doing together, and the second what you're doing together ends, your friendship ends. Is that where you're at? Maybe, maybe you're somebody who struggles with a conscience avoidance of close relationships because they're just too scary or they're just too messy. Is that you? A, a formal commitment to church activities but no real connection to people? Have you secluded yourself? How about one-way kind of ministry-driven friendships? Catch this one. One-way ministry-driven friendships in which you always minister to others, but you never allow others to minister to you. You are the professional helper. How about maybe self-centered, meet-my-needs relationships, but you always just keep receiving. 
you're never giving? Or are you at a private, kind of independent, just God and me approach to the Christian life? One other one. Theology as a replacement for relationship. I know God as a life of study rather than the pursuit of God and His people. Any of those hit for you? Think about your closest relationships. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's your small, your, your missional community or a, or a smaller group of people that get together. What needs to change so that you can form more meaningful relationships with the people who are already in your life? What do you need to do to take a step forward? I know our culture idolizes, you know, you, you kind of think through it in a, in a Marvel Comics kind of way, right? Who were the heroes? The Lone Ranger, right? Or Batman. I'm Batman. Right? They, they right wrongs. They disappear to the Batcave all alone. That solitary approach to life and change is utterly foreign to Scripture. And it's sort of interesting because our culture is catching up on this a little bit, aren't they? Because who writes wrongs now? The Avengers. It's a group of broken people. Something a little more appropriate about that, isn't there? Something more true about that. But the Bible doesn't see the Lone Ranger as healthier or stronger because he's outgrown community. The Bible actually sees it as a weakness, not a strength. And let's just draw this out for a second. That goes beyond our gene pool. Because I think for this culture, for this region, one of the things that I've been talking to guys a lot about this week, what are the key roles that God has put into your life? All of us have them. Every single person has a calling from God on your life, a unique specialization, something you bring to the table that nobody else brings. There's a calling that God's put on your life. And then inside of that calling, you've got roles, responsibilities, areas that God sits there and says, hey, you need to take care of this and this and this. So, you know, for if your calling is is this, if you're calling, you know, I think of Dwight, for those of you guys who knew Dwight. When you talk to Dwight, you sit there and say, hey, Dwight, who are you? And Dwight would sit there and say, I am called to be a missionary to Montreal to bring the gospel up there. I'm planning a church in Montreal. That was his calling. That is his calling on his life. Now, you take his roles and you think through, well, what are your roles? Well, he's a father and he's a husband. You know, you, you kind of think. And, and even as he thinks through being a church planner, being a church planner means being a father. And being a church planner means being a, a, a husband. And being a church planner means, so we, we have to go through this list. What are your roles? Do you know them? Because our culture will provide you automatically with three. This is, my, this is my assessment. And I don't think many of us get past three. When I think biblically, we have more than three. But what are the three? Number one is work. Second one is wife. Third one is kids. If you live in this region, to you, that's it. Now, if you live in New York City, 
work is really important, you know, and, and that one's going to take like the lion's share of all of your stuff because work and career, and you might have two or three about your work. But I think for this culture up here, we're going to sit there and go work. Work is what keeps me from my wife and my kids. I have to work because I can't get someone just to pay me not to do it. But the question is, is work, wife, and kids, is that enough? It, it might be work, husband, and kids. I don't want to discriminate at all. It just sounds better to say work, wife, and kids, right? You know, two of them at least alliterate. Do you, is, it, is, it, is it kind of a, um, an option that Jesus says, well, yeah, once you have a little time left over, You've got nothing else to do. Then you can maybe take care of some other people from the church from outside your gene pool. Is that how we should think? Because I'm afraid that for a lot of us as believers, that's how we think. We've so overemphasized one area that we've lost important other areas. That's why I keep asking, is this a biblical calling? Is this a biblical calling? If it's a biblical calling, then it has to factor in my life. Maybe when our kids are young, the amount of time we have to do that is very small. Just like the amount of money we have to save is very small, right? But do we sit there and go, well, I'm just not going to do it until some other day. No. You balance in what you can. And will you balance in that time? Finally, let me just emphasize this when it comes to this. Why? Why are we called into this kind of relationships? Well, we saw first that the why is because God prizes this. This is God's heart. But I also want us to see something. And this, this could be kind of the methodology. But let me remind you of a point we made last week. My life is not first and foremost about my personal fulfillment. It's about my progressive holiness. It's about your progressive sanct- personal sanctification. You know what? Friendships, relationships are perfect for this. Why does God call us into community? Because God not only changes us, God uses his people to change us. And let's just remember, that means a multitude of things. Number one, being in redemptive relationships shows us our need for change and it helps bring it about. If there's a key statement in there, Being involved with people is going to show you where you need to change, and it's also going to be God's tool to help you change. What do I mean by that? Our personal transformation must be worked out within the family of God. The gospel is not only more clearly perceived and experienced within community, it's also the basis for community. You will not get the gospel unless other people are bringing it to you. Have you ever sat there and said, I know what I need to do, and I know all the scriptures about it, and I'm just not making any progress? It's probably, it may be, because you're not letting others bring it to you. So you could say it this way. Christian friendships not only help us see something, the love of God, but they also help us do something. They help us obey God. We need people to come along with us once in a while and say, hey, dude, what are you doing? 
they help us live this out. You're not made to do this by yourself. Christian friendships do not simply help us bask in the sunshine of God's grace. They also help us roll up our sleeves and strive after holiness. This is what marriage is about. This is what having kids is all about. This is what you know, God is working on about calling us into a community. The ultimate goal of God's grace is an active, healthy, unified body of believers. A full-fledged family freed from sin and its slavery. It's this people purified and zealous for good works that God's pr- are, are God's precious inheritance, right? How does that work? Real quickly, let me tell you this. Number one, other people will draw sin out of you. They will put their finger on it. They know how to press the button, whether they mean to or not. If God is working on our holiness, what's one of the things we need to do? We talked about it at the very beginning of the sermon, right? We need to identify where sin is in our lives and be willing and capable of admitting it. Other people will fail you. Other people will hurt you. They will never be what you need them to be. And while that's sad, it points us back to a great reality. Jesus says, I will be. I and I alone can be what you need. So he summed it up this way. He said, Jesus is all you need, right? Unless you're mixed in with people, you may lose sight of that. You may lose sight of where Jesus wants to change you. Jesus wants to use you. He's working through you. He's excited to have you with him while he works. He's going to empower you to change. All these things flow under the reality that, you know what? Your life is not first and foremost about happiness or fulfillment. That's not God's big plan. God's big plan is that you'll become more like him. He's working on it. He's got all the power all the patience, everything you need to do that. So rejoice. Engage in community. Connect with people. The way we see it sometimes is it's kind of like there's three different conversions that go on in our lives. And I'm not espousing some strange doctrine. I'm just saying, you know what? For a lot of us, the first thing we need to do is come to Jesus. Have you come to Jesus? But then there comes a second point where suddenly we go, you know what, Jesus calls me to be part of his family and find myself to be part of them and not separated from them. Will I do that? The third one's mission. And that's what we'll talk about again next week. Lord, help us, I pray. Help, help people who are um, struggling with us today. Help them not to hear what we're not saying. Lord, confront those things in their minds. Confront the walls that they've built up. Confront the, the inner dialogue that seems to, um, to, uh, to say, I don't have to be part of this because these people are, are just so jacked up and messed up that, that I shouldn't have to give myself to them. Or the people who maybe are, are sitting here today saying, I've been so failed by people, I just can't go forward. Lord, help them to, to instead to focus on how faithful and appropriate and loving and kind that you are. Lord, help our, our, our focus go to you and then let us 
live out of the overflow of what you've done for us. Thank you for community. It's such a great idea. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.